please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. It's my intention to, starting next week, begin preaching through the book of Luke. So if you're looking for a book to begin reading next year, may I suggest Luke. Um, Today, we won't be looking at Luke. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. Let me remind you that this is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive your word with faith, with understanding, that we would obey it, that we would learn to set our minds on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is December the 31st, the last day of 2023. It has been a year filled with both joys and sorrows, reasons for lamenting, reasons for thankfulness. As we look forward to the next year, it's common for people to make plans, make New Year's resolutions, or it's more gaining in popularity, New Year's challenges. Now, according to the internet, we all know the internet is never wrong, the most common New Year's resolutions are to save money, to exercise more, to lose weight, to eat healthy. Now, There's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're actually all admirable. And I I hope that you're able to do all those things this year. But they are all earthly, fleshy, fleshly. And I want to remind you today, as we approach a new year, that you were made for higher things. You were made by God. You were made for God, to know Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him, to walk with Him, to love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. There are so many people in the world who struggle with their purpose in life. They wonder, what am I here to do? God has told you. Your Maker has told you. You exist for God. More than anything else, this should be our resolution to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to glorify God this year. All the more to grow in that. Here's an excerpt from Matthew Henry's diary in the 45th year of his life. January 1st, 1707. Early. Christ is a Christian's all, and he is my all. 
Unto Thee, O blessed Jesus, my only Savior and Redeemer, do I make a fresh surrender of my whole self this morning, body and soul and spirit. To me, to live as Christ, particularly this ensuing year. All my time, strength, and service I devote to the honor of my Lord Jesus Christ. My entire dependence is upon Jesus Christ for strength and righteousness. I have all by him. I would use all for him. If this should prove a year of affliction, I will fetch all my supports and comforts from the Lord Jesus and stay myself upon him. If it should be my dying year, my times are in the hands of the Lord Jesus, and with humble reliance on his mediation, I would venture into another world looking for the blessed hope. Dying as well as living, Jesus Christ will, I trust, be gain and advantage to me. Good Lord, keep this in the imagination of the thought of my heart and establish my way before thee. I want you to compare that with spend less and lose five pounds. This is a man who, has, who knows what his purpose in life is, and he has set his heart accordingly. And brothers and sisters, I read that to inspire you to earnestly live for what eternally matters, to live for God. And when you consider what the next year holds, that you would hold God central in all those thoughts and plans. To resolve by God's grace to grow in your walk with Him, to grow in your love for Him. And to that end, today I want you to help you focus your attention on loving God with your mind, with your thoughts. Set your mind on the things that are above. Now, when God calls us to love him with all our minds and all our hearts, you must remember that God is not calling basically good people to love him just a little bit better. He was calling sinners, rebels, haters of God to do something that was opposed to their wicked nature. So in order for you and me to do the very thing that God made us to do, we stand in need of transformation. God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Ezekiel describes our hearts as hearts of stone. Not only are we not able to love God with all our hearts, you can't love God at all unless he changes us, unless he gives us a new heart. And as our thoughts proceed from our hearts, we cannot love God with our minds either. Romans 8 says very clearly, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The mindset on the flesh is death. We are called in Colossians to set our minds on the things above. Now, so for God to save us from sin and restore us to our purpose, we didn't need just a little help 
to get us over the hump. We needed complete, sovereign rescue when we were helpless. Instead of being, asking God, what, what must I do to be saved? We have to ask God, save me. I can do nothing. Do it all, Lord. I put myself in your hands. We need a new heart and a new mind, and you can't give yourself that. But thankfully, praise be to God, that is the very thing that God promises in the gospel. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. What about our minds? Paul writes in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the gospel, you see, God gives us a new heart and a new mind that we might finally begin to love God with our hearts and our minds. Now, where does this heart and this mind come from? It comes from our Lord Jesus himself, from our union with him. The heart that God places in us is Christ's heart. He puts his spirit within us. The mind he gives us is Christ's mind. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says, the one who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Not that we become Jesus, but we become united to Jesus. He is our head. We are the body. He is the groom. We are the bride. He is the vine. We are the branches. This is a great mystery, but it is the fundamental truth of the gospel. We are in Christ. That's how Paul would so frequently refer to being saved, being in Christ. Paul would say this, and you recognize that these are key verses in Paul's letter. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. He says in Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ. And here in our passage, he says, Christ, who is our life. Now, brothers and sisters, this fact of union with Christ is so central to the gospel that if you are to get anywhere in your Christian life, you must strive to understand it because you can do nothing without him. And this great truth which I have placed before you to consider is at the heart of our passage this morning. We needed a radical transformation of our hearts and our minds so that comes about with our union to Christ in his death and resurrection. So Colossians 3 verse 1 begins this way. If then you have been raised with Christ. Now, what does this imply as we're jumping into the middle of the letter here? It implies, for one, that you died, that you first died, and secondly, that 
you were united with Christ, nevertheless, in that state, and God raised you with Christ, that he unites himself to his people in his saving work. Sure enough, you see that if you look through chapter 2. Colossians 2.20 says that you died with Christ. Colossians 2.12 says that you were buried with Christ. Our verse says that you were raised with Christ and that your life is hid with Christ in God. In in fact, in verse 4, it says, Christ, who is our life? And if we died with him, if you died with him, you were buried with him, you were raised with him, you're seated with him in the heavenly places, we will be glorified with him at his return. Brothers and sisters, where should your mind be? Do you believe this, that you have been raised with Christ, that your life is him, that apart from him you have nothing, that you have no life, that your home is there in heaven where he is? If you, if you say you do believe these things, let me ask if your past, your present, your future, your life, your happiness is so bound up with Jesus, where should your thoughts and your heart be? Paul tells us it should be in heaven where Jesus is. If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. But consider, what are the things that dominate your thoughts throughout the day? A general day. What do we usually think about? How often do you think of Christ? How often do you think of home? Of heaven? I think if we're honest, our minds are far too often set on the things of the world. Let me remind you, something will have your heart. If Jesus doesn't, something else will, something lesser, something not worthy of your heart. It is the characteristic of the wicked man that God is not in his thoughts. Psalm 10 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Conversely, it's the characteristic of the Christian to think often of God and Christ. How could we not? The church is his bride. Imagine if you're married and never thought of your spouse. Now, there's really nothing in my life, nothing in my schedule that does not impact my wife in some way or another. We plan things together We live together. We talk to each other daily. If I haven't seen her in a while, I miss her. I look forward to when I have a chance to see her again and spend time with her. I think fondly of the times we spent together in the past. I look forward to spending more time in the present. I look forward to our future. I mourn over how I've sinned against her. And I desire to learn to love her better. In a word, 
because of who she is, she is in my thoughts one way or another, no matter what I'm doing. How much more should we all be able to say this of the Lord Jesus? You know, I won't always be married to my wife. One day, that will end. I, I, I think that I'll be closer to her in heaven than I've ever been on earth, nevertheless. But we were made for this eternal relationship, the closest relationship, an eternal marriage to Jesus Christ. Isn't this a wonderful thought, brothers and sisters, that Christ loves you and that you are always on his thoughts. You are always in his prayers. And there's really nothing that he does that doesn't have you in mind. That his whole time on earth, he was thinking of you. That the night that he was going to be betrayed, he was praying for you, for those who would believe in the apostles' teaching. And you, you are united to Christ. You belong to Christ. And so our thoughts should be drawn to him as well. You shouldn't be able to do anything, therefore, without thinking, does, on some level, does this please my Lord? And if we don't often think of this, it's probably because we're not spending time with him rarely. You notice that there's a friend, perhaps, that you haven't spoken to in years, and you talk to them, it's a little bit difficult to start talking at a very much depth because you don't know what's been going on in their life that much, unless you've been stalking them on Facebook for a while or something. You don't know, and so it's hard to figure out what to talk about. But when you do know someone and you talk daily, there's, there's much to talk about. Our communication with the Lord is like that too. Sometimes we find it difficult to pray because we haven't been praying. We don't know what to say, except general, very general terms. But if we are often thinking of God, we should have this desire frequently to go back to Him, pulling our heart back, back to prayer, back to worship, back to being with his people. We should often desire to go to him in our free time because if you cannot afford God your free time, then it's pretty clear you can't afford him nothing at all. So we should often go to him in our free time, make time to be with him that we carefully guard. We read his word expressly so that we may know him. Some of you will make a a resolution, perhaps, to read the Bible through in a year. That's good. It's not commanded. You don't have to do that. If you do do that, don't do it to check it off. Read the Bible that you might know the God who loves you more. That's why you should do it. We read His Word expressly so that we may know Him, that we may grow in loving Him, that we might learn of him and long to know him more. Brothers and sisters, is this your experience, or at least on some level? Oh, I pray it would be that we would all strive 
to live with our minds on Him more consistently. The truth is that the, our minds are often not on the Lord and on heavenly things. There are a few reasons for this. One is that there is a physical distance between you and Christ. Christ is in heaven. You are here. You have never seen him. Now, first, Peter talks about you, those who love God, love Christ, although they've never seen him. It is possible for you to know him. It is possible for you to love him. But it's difficult for us because our faith is weak, and we have to walk by faith here, not by sight. We've never been to heaven. And though the Holy Spirit unites us to him, we still are, we feel distant. Meanwhile, the world is all around us and constantly contends for our attention, especially if you're always looking at your phone, looking at the news, and you're being reminded again and again and again of things that really won't matter that much probably in a week. Actually, don't, they don't really matter that much now, uh, but we're constantly bombarded in this day and age, especially with the world around us. And all over the world, we, we have news directed towards us, entertainment directed towards us, that we rarely have time to sit and think of the Lord. Secondly, we often do not think of Him because we love Him so poorly, and we still love sin too much. God knows that we have this struggle. And so he reminds us in this passage where we must fix our hearts, where we must learn to fix our hearts. And so do not be deceived. Where your heart leads, there your thoughts will follow. The heart is the fountain of all our thoughts. And so our thoughts are a good indicator of what kind of person you are. As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs tells us, so he is. Now, in our passage, setting our minds on the things that are above is set in contrast with setting our minds on the things of the world. This certainly includes the fading pleasures of the world, some of which are good, some of which are just outright evil. But in context, I want you to see that this also includes outward formalism and self-righteousness. Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23 says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You see here in our passage what Paul is contrasting heavenly-mindedness with, not money, fame, power, but severity to the body, self-abasement, man-made unbiblical rules, outward formal but empty worship. Don't eat this. Don't touch that. This outward, visible religion is held in contrast with an inward religion. Our inward thoughts, our hidden life in heaven, 
In short, many people who don't have a vital inward relationship with Christ choose instead to have an outward form of religion focused on man-made commands like the Pharisees. But they don't have any power to fight against real sins. How could they if they don't have a vital relationship with Christ? Without Christ, we can do nothing. But if Christ is your life, this will result in an inward religion that is really the source of your outward walk with the Lord. He whose thoughts are with Christ in heaven will walk in a heavenly way even while he's on earth. You notice this when you you hang out with people, you reflect them in some ways. We're like mirrors that we hang out, we start talking the same way. I say y'all more here in South Carolina than I did in Taiwan. You know, we, we, we become like the people that we hang out with. If we spend much time with the Lord, we will begin to walk in a heavenly way and speak, as it were, with a heavenly accent, even while we're on earth. This is the Christian's prayer for his own life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And his eyes are continually fixed there to see what kind of world it is there. How do they act in heaven? How can I act that way? If that is really my prayer, that God's will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Is it done in my life that way? The Christian knows that he doesn't really belong to this world. He is a citizen of heaven, and he's passing through this world as through a foreign country. But he knows he's on his way home. I remember as we were moving from Taiwan back here, that for about a a few months, all of our possessions were just being gotten rid of. I, I took way too many trips to the trash can, which was a long walk when you're in Taiwan. But we started having less and less things until eventually we were eating on the ground. Uh, and it was okay because we were leaving. We were moving to a new home. And our, our objective in life should not be to get as much stuff as we can and hang on to it for as long as we can because this is not our home. We are to be heavenly-minded. And I want you to imagine for a moment that if you were to go to heaven for one day, December the 31st, and you were to explore the glories and the joys of that place, there would be two things that gave you particular joy. The first is that Jesus is there. The second is that sin is not. Sin is the cause of all sorrows and problems in this world. And Jesus is the light and the glory of heaven. And everything else in heaven is illuminated by his light and reflects his glory. There are things there that you wouldn't even be able to begin to put in words. But you can say this much, that there is fullness of joy that never disappoints and it never fades. Everyone there is perfectly holy, perfectly happy forever. And then after seeing the Lord and your heavenly home for one day, you came back here to Mount Pleasant to this sinful world. 
would it change the way you live tomorrow? Would it change the way you live in 2024? Would you long to live for Christ all the more? Would you long to fight against the sin that makes this world the way it is all the more? Would you look forward all the more expectantly to the day that Christ returns and fix your hope there completely? And even look forward to your own death. Yes, even that would be gain to you. Now, you might not see heaven today, but our passage is telling you to fix your mind there anyway. Fix your mind on Christ, His person, His work, His glory, the love of God in Christ for you. And the more you dwell on these things, the more you will be changed into His likeness. You cannot see Him here with your sight, but you can behold Him by faith. And that is enough to change you and to make you more and more clearly a citizen of heaven, even in this world. Every true Christian has heaven in his heart before he is in heaven. Now, sometimes it's said that a person can be too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul understands it. If you were to look quickly over the rest of chapter 3, Colossians, you will see what practical effect this heavenly-mindedness has on our lives. Verse 5 through 9 shows us that there would be an increased deadness to sin against immorality, impurity, passion, greed, anger, wrath, slander, etc. By increased deadness, I mean they would play less and less a part of your life. Instead, you're more and more renewed into the image of God, to the one who created you. In verses 11 through 17, you would see that the effect would be that you have compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and peace. In verses 18 through 25, this heavenly mindedness would make you a better employee, a better wife, a better husband and father. You see that fixing your thoughts on Christ will not take you out of the world, but it will make you a more Christ-like person in the world. I would leave the rest of the chapter for you to look over yourself today uh, and discuss with one another today, but I want to leave you with a couple practical directions to help you set your affections and your minds on Christ. First, be completely convinced that there is such a person as Jesus Christ, just as Scripture has revealed him to be. Consider his holiness, his wisdom, his faithfulness, his love, his compassion and mercy, his patience. Consider also how in love God sent him to die for sinners, for you. And carefully consider that you are a sinner, and therefore you need him desperately. Consider your foolishness and his wisdom, your sinfulness, his purity, your weakness, his power, and you will see that in Christ, 
God has provided you with a Savior, a complete Savior, perfectly suited to all your needs. Just the Savior you need. And then come to Him. Come to Jesus Christ. Give yourself to Him. Come to Him in prayer. Give Him your heart to fix it. Give Him your mind to correct it, to renew it, to transform it. Secondly, if you wish to love Him more, get more faith. Now, where do you get more faith? How do you get more faith? Faith comes from hearing and reading God's Word. And it comes by praying for faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you are to set your mind on Him, you cannot simply imagine Him to be whatever you want Him to be. No, you must learn from Scripture about Him. You set your mind on what's revealed there. So be often in the Word for that purpose. Make a special use of the whole of the Lord's day to learn of Him, to commune with Him. How wonderful it would be for your spiritual walk if you were to learn that the Lord's day is not just the Lord's morning, but it's the Lord's day. And you have time today to think of Him, to pray to Him, to spend time with Him, time that you wouldn't have the rest of the week. Much of our weakness is that in our poor use of the Lord's day to learn of Him, to commune with Him. And also be convinced that there is such a place as heaven as Scripture reveals it to be. Be convinced that your mind and your life is not really to be set here on this earth, but that your life is hidden with Christ. So strive to think of Him enthroned there in heaven for you, ruling over everything for you, preparing a place for you. Think often of it. And then what a joy it will be when you come to die to think that you are finally going to this place that you've daily thought of and longed to go to. Finally, labor to think often of His return and how He will soon be revealed and how when He is revealed, you will be revealed with Him in glory, as our passage says. You will be glorified with Him and labor then to see the world as something that is fading away and that is not worthy of your heart. And sin is something that has no place in heaven, no place in your life, certainly no place in our glorious Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us strive to set our minds on Jesus Christ and learn to love Him with our minds.